Hi, this is Mary Coughlin, and I want to welcome you to the Care Out Loud podcast, presented to you by Caring Essentials Collaborative, founder of the Trauma-Informed Professional Certificate Program and internationally recognized leader in trauma-informed developmentally supportive education for parents and professionals serving babies, children, and families in crisis around the globe. I'm wicked excited you're here as we talk about caring out loud. In each moment lies a unique opportunity to create a kinder, more connected and compassionate world one moment at a time. And it all begins with you. Today's episode is with the incomparable Carol Kenner, Chief Executive Officer of the Council of International Neonatal Nurses and Carol Cuser Loser, Dean and Professor at the College of New Jersey School of Nursing, Health and Exercise Sciences. Carol received her Bachelor of Science in Nursing from the University of Cincinnati and a Master's of Science in Neonatal and Perinatal Nursing, as well as a doctorate with a minor in higher education from Indiana University. This incredible woman has authored more than 100 journal articles and 40 textbooks. (laughs) In addition, she serves on the Consensus Committee of Neonatal Intensive Care Design and Standards um, and is also a fellow of the American Academy of Nursing, a fellow at the National Academies of Press, and an Academy of Nursing Education Fellow. Carol received the Sigma Theta Tau Audrey Hepburn Award for contributions to the health and welfare of children internationally back in 2011. It is an incredible honor to be able to interview Carol today for you. Welcome, Carol. All right. Well, I um, just to kind of kick it off, um, I would love to hear your backstory and, and um, what was it that drew you into nursing in the first place? How did you come to this calling, if you will? Oh, uh, it's so funny that you would ask me that question (laughs) because I'm probably one of the few that had a really good family friend that was a nurse that was such a great role model, even as a small child, that I said, that's what I want to do. And I I thought, okay, I'm going to set my sights on being a nurse. And when I got closer to the time of actually applying for nursing school, I talked to my family doctor who had been, uh, was at the time, the chief medical officer of a hospital uh, in in, uh, my area. And he said, you could go to medical school or you can go to nursing school. But if you go to nursing school, please make sure that you get a college education. And of course, when I was there um, entering, most nurses went through the diploma nursing programs, but I didn't. I started out as a baccalaureate nurse and I decided to go to nursing because I saw that he didn't have that much chance to spend time with patients and families, but I saw my friend with the families, with the, with the patients, and that's what I wanted was spending that time that quality time. It's that human connection, I think, that um, makes nursing such a fulfilling profession. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, um, so you went into nursing and, um, and, you know, 
how would you know how did you then kind of veer towards um neonatal did you start in pediatrics did you do general or how did that all kind of unfold for you well i swore i never wanted to take care of sick kids because <laughs> i uh, volunteered at shriners burns institute i worked with um very sick fragile uh, kids, even as I was moving up into nursing and in nursing school. But when I finished my pediatric rotation in the in nursing school, um, my instructor said, why don't you apply for a job here at the at, at um, Cincinnati Children's? And I said, well, I still not sure if I really want to work with sick children, because one of our rotations was on the oncology floor uh, with the pediatric patients. And so again, it was a reinforcement of how difficult this work can be. I mean, rewarding, but difficult and emotionally draining. But two of my friends decided that they wanted to apply. So we all three applied for a nursing assistant position. And of course, I was naive in those days the director of nursing called all three of us and said, we have openings in the NICU. As a junior in nursing school, we have openings in the NICU. Red flags should have gone off. We don't have enough nurses. But for us, it was like, great, we'll try this. But what the heck do we know about sick newborns? So my spring break, junior year of nursing school, I got oriented to the NICU which was a level three in those days uh, because we didn't have level fours. So we had the sick of the sickest. It was in the children's hospital. So all referrals. And I, what I found there was to get over my fear of taking care of very, very sick children. I got so fascinated by the fact that we were learning all the time. We were seeing different things that we never saw in other areas. And because the doctors and the geneticists and the respiratory therapists all were working as a team in the unit. We actually talked to each other, not just saw each other on rounds. And we learned from each other. And that was exciting because I was still in that learning mode and I wanted to be a sponge and I wanted to do the best I could. So I got over the fear of the sick babies and never looked back. That's amazing. I mean, I can completely connect with what you're saying about learning something new all the time. I mean, it is so fascinating, the the unique physiology of these amazing individuals. And of course, you know, the pathophysiological states that they, you know, they find themselves in due to a variety of different reasons. So it is really um, challenging intellectually. Um, But you also still have that, you know, that human connection piece available. How how was that? How did that play out um, in your role during your, you know, earlier neonatal nursing years? I, I think it reinforced why I went into nursing, because mm-hmm. I saw the parents that were so scared. And I could relate to that. Um, you know, when I first started teaching uh, neonatal nurses, um, I always said, I still remember walking in that unit. And in those days, having the door slam behind us, and you're locked in. And I was terrified, because I said to myself, I I don't even know what I don't know at this point. I don't even know if I've got enough in me to to know how to care for these babies. 
and I didn't have an emotional connection. So if I didn't have an emotional connection and here are parents that have never been inside a NICU and suddenly are locked into this glass cage, that's what I referred to in my mind, it was referred to as a glass cage because we had the sliding doors at that time. We had the glass that looked into the unit, not anymore, but that was the case. And you're locked in and and all of these sounds and the monitors going off that happened in those days and all of those things. But even today with the single room, that still that fear factor is there. Yeah. And, I, and I remember clearly, too, a parent coming in once and saying, oh, my gosh, I can't find my baby. I can't find my baby. Well, we moved the baby because we had a more critically ill baby that we needed closer to the, the nursing station at the time. We never thought that that would send them into a panic. So that was another red flag for me early on to say, you know, remember how scared you were. Think about now that this is their baby and they have no context for this unit. And that was a driver for me. And it's still a driver today to have that human connection, to never forget what that feels like. I, I love how you're um, presenting this because I think that really, I mean, it speaks to so many different things, you know, within nursing, but also within our human community of really um, being able to draw compassion from your own lived experience, from your own understanding of how a situation felt to you, and then imagining how that may feel for another person, like intentionally, you know, taking the time to think about that, because I think, you know, many folks don't, you know, for a variety of different reasons, um, you know, don't, don't take the time, don't, um, don't even uh, understand the relevance of taking the time that, you know, I, I'm sure you've heard this, you know, from the, your colleagues as you've gone, you know, move through your professional career. Um, you know, we're trying to save lives, you know, um, I don't have time for that fluffy stuff. You know, I'm trying to do all of these things. And, um, and even today, I still hear folks say that. And the more I, you know, the more I kind of dive into this idea of trauma and, and, um, and trauma informed care, I become more aware of how our own lived experiences and how we respond to those affect how we show up to the lives of others. That's right. Absolutely. I, and I, I mean, I, I'm, I feel it's um, really amazing too, that all of these insights have shaped it. And I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, but seem to have shaped how you have now championed and led, you know, neonatal nursing around the globe. I mean, so now you're it, it, t transitioning from your clinical practice, you know, how, how has all of those experiences informed your academic role and then in your research and advocacy roles? Well, I think going back to uh, the very beginning, uh, just as I said before, you're always learning, especially in the NICU and, I, and having worked and taken students to other units that are outside the NICU, what I saw there was that there wasn't a relationship with the medical staff oftentimes, not even as much with the parents sometimes, uh, because you weren't as in close proximity. and. And so the communication style, the trust level was different. But what I saw in the in the um, NICU too was that 
especially if you're in what I call a, a, a Mecca, I always say that if you're lucky enough to be in a teaching hospital and you are really at the cutting edge of research and clinical trials and a lot of different things that are going on so that you're always in that process of very, very active learning, rapid changes and things like that. I recognized, and so did some of my colleagues, that we were getting calls from other NICUs about protocols, about how to take care of, especially a surgical baby, because we always kept the surgical babies at that time, including babies that had cardiac surgery on the, in the NICU. I mean, that changed over the course of time, but there weren't many places that were doing that kind of care. And so I said, if we have to keep putting together with permission from the hospital to share these protocols, I think we need to write a book. Mm -hmm. So there's out there, put them in a book. And of course, we didn't use just that hospital's protocols because there were differences across the country. But we did pull together the literature and said, this is how you should take care of a surgical neonate. Mm -hmm. So it was really out of the practicality that there was nothing out there. And then that led from the surgical neonate book to the comprehensive book, because then I was convinced that nurses needed to know, especially in community hospitals, needed to know more about the physiology. And as you said in the very beginning, Mary, the uniqueness of the physiology of especially a one pound 24 weeker, mm -hmm. uh, understanding that. And, and I was lucky in my master's when I went for that, that um, I did a what I've always referred to as a schizophrenic yeah. master's, high-risk perinatal and neonatal nurse practitioner. So I got to be on the OB side that I really didn't have a lot of experience on. And I saw some of those babies that never got transported because they truly weren't viable. The 22 weekers, the et cetera, as you know, and that there was just nothing we could do um, that they, they died within minutes of birth usually. But that taught me also that we needed to pull together that physiology to understand genetics and fetal development that was really taking off at that time and, and understand, okay, if you're born at 22 weeks, if you're born at 23 weeks, what does that internal organ system look like? What are the vulnerabilities? And so that was, I, I think that got me to say, okay, let's pull together experts. We had 88 people from across the country, nurses and doctors, as you well probably remember, yeah. to put that textbook together yeah. that's now been out since 1993, which is hard to believe. <laughs> but the reality was there was nothing like it. Well, and I mean, that book reminds me of um, when I was studying for the boards um, to sit, you know, to become an NNP, um, that book was invaluable because of its comprehensiveness um, and the depth of information that I could get. Um, it really, it, it was, it was critical, I think, you know, um, and it's, it was helpful too to have it all in one place um, because in the, you know, prior to that, you felt like you were just, you know, catch as catch can, trying to thread things together to really get a good understanding. But here it was all together. And the other fascinating thing about the work that you're doing with that particular book is that with each edition, 
I mean, just like we both know, right? We're always discovering something new. We're gaining deeper insight, um, you know, depth of understanding of, I mean, now epigenetics and all of that information, um, telomeres, you know, chromosomal changes. I mean, all of this stuff is just really um, remains cutting edge in our field that it's, yeah, it's just, it's amazing to be able to curate and pull such a a wide breadth of information into one into one manual, but now that's not the only um, book that you're um, you're you've been working on, right? Um, you, you, are you okay to share some of the other projects that you've worked on? Sure, but just like as you're saying that your own work uh, as you grew in terms of trauma, that was really important to start incorporating it into books because there wasn't enough out there about that. And so that's, that also is a stimulant for me to always be in a learning mode to look at, at different things. So that led to then the, um, my work, I, I had gotten involved in uh, the National Association of Neonatal Nurses and uh, felt very committed to understanding how to network with people there. And of course, I worked my way up by accident, not by design to be the president of that organization. From that, I got invited to be part of the American Academy of Pediatrics Coffin Committee, the Committee of Venus and Newborn, setting the perinatal and neonatal standards. And, you know, we there was only one nurse at that time that was on that committee. But that also came because at the same time that I was asked through the Gravens Group to be part of the NICU design standards. And of course, I had uh, Dr. Bob White and others from that group write in the textbook so that we could start incorporating the, the recommendations into the textbook for nursing to understand how important that was. And, and again, that led to then the work with the developmental care and Nan wanted to take on um, creating a developmental care book. And so Jackie, Dr. Jackie McGrath and I said, okay, we'll, we'll do it. Why not? Let's take it off and, and take off with this and, and go into the developmental care. And of course, now the third edition of that book just came out, but it was through these networks and these synergies that that book came and out of that, you know, grew, I've done other books, but you know, those, that's kind of the trajectory there. Yeah. I mean, and it, I mean, just the contributions that you've made to neonatal nursing over your career are, are just are breathtaking and incredibly inspiring. I mean, I've, I've always admired your work and I, it, it, there's never a dull moment, Carol. Um, you know, I, I see you on the social media and, and certainly, you know, new projects coming across. Um, if you were to, I mean, this is probably a hard question to answer, but I'm going to challenge you. What is the best thing about the work that you do now? Well, um, I'll continue the trajectory and then answer your question if you don't mind. Not at all. Um, through my work at NAN, um, and now that NAN was setting standards, and we didn't even have NAN yet because the NNP role was just beginning to really take off. And so that came, you know, during the time that I was still uh, very involved with NAN in a leadership role. But what I found was that nurses from other countries like Australia that just um, had their anniversary, that their, their 30th, I believe, anniversary, Australia didn't have a group like NAN. So they came to NAN 
to understand how did you set up this National Association of Neonatal Nurses? And of course, Chuck Raid, Charles Raid had set that up in, in 1984, had the vision from a small group of uh, Northern California nurses that said, we need, we need to have standards. There's no standards out there. So they created, he created NAN, uh, uh, Patricia Johnson, Tracy Karp, those were some of the early leaders in that group. And these nurses now, as I'm NAN president, are coming from Colombia, from Australia, from all these countries saying, we have nothing. So from that, I started running focus groups at their different conferences in different countries as we got invited. The UK had the longest standing um, neonatal nursing association in the world that we knew of. And so we were invited to go from NAN to, to Hargett, England. And we and I kept asking, what do you need? What do nurses need? And even the UK nurses wanted to connect with NAN and wanted to connect with the larger, whatever that was, global community. Nurse from Columbia said to me, I'm the only neonatal nurse I know outside of my unit that has any connection, but we can't because it was before email and the internet, we couldn't find each other. And so we uh, started then working towards uh, creating an organization. And I founded the Council of International Neonatal Nurses in 2005 in Australia was you know, not that old at that time, they wanted to be right there as helping me to create um, COIN, as we call it, and the Canadian neonatal nurses that had been a chapter of NAN, they wanted to create their uh, stronger presence in the global. So they wanted to be involved. And for that, that led to where I think I can answer your question, because now, through to, from 2005 to where we are today, COIN now has a presence at most of the policy tables, not just endorsing documents, but actually creating documents that are impacting standards, impacting neonatal nursing visibility in countries that have never recognized it, have had no specialized training. And we just um, completed a training program with um, nurses from um, Africa. And the neonatologist said, I asked them on a recent call, are you seeing a difference now that the nurses have more education and specialized training in how to take care of the small and sick newborn? And, and they all said from seven hospitals, we're seeing a decrease in neonatal mortality. That's huge. Now it's anecdotal. It's not systematically collected yet. Mm -hmm. And we do need to do that. But yes, I'm proud of that. It's not just me. I want to be clear. It's not just me. I, I've tried to lead the charge, but it takes a village, mm -hmm. a village to do it. Yeah. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, oh my goodness. I'm, 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 Speechless. I, I know, um, gee, was it was a couple of years ago that I got to go, it was actually pre-COVID now. Um, I went to a coin conference and there was, um, it was in Vancouver and there was this beautiful presentation of awards um, to nurses from 
some of those developing countries um, and at least one of them, if not more, were from Africa, um, the African countries. I forget which ones. Um, but it was just so amazing to watch these nurses um, speak about the challenges that they've overcome and the service you know that they're able to provide now because of their experience with COIN and the global neonatal community that's really enriched and enhanced how they step up their practice, you know, and really can deliver at a at a higher caliber um, for patients um, there. Um, I know they still have lots of challenges. I mean, gee whiz, you know, the number of unlicensed individuals that they're working with to, you know, maintain um, these NICUs, and I'm using air quotes here, um, that are very different from, you know, a NICU here in the United States. But it is really amazing to hear you share this story of how, you know, just collectively as a global force, NICU nurses are supporting each other with with standards, with best practices, with you know, with support, you know, and and all of all of what that means. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Yeah, that's why Mary that we that Coin just produced a book. Um, Julia Petty, Dr. Julia Petty, out of the UK, is the lead editor um, in its neonatal global perspective, and the chapters in that book re reflect various regions of the world. We tried to uh, make sure that we followed the WHO regions of the world, but mm -hmm. there is a chapter in there um, that I worked with African nurse leaders to really tell their story of what it's like when they have minimal resources. Yeah. And so some of the stories that you heard in Vancouver are some of the same things that are incorporated there. But we really wanted people to say, you know, here's what we have in this this country. So we have the the U.S. chapter, we have a Russian chapter, we have a, a Japanese chapter, and I'm forgetting some of the others. But the reality is that you know South America was represented, the Hawaiian Islands and South Pacific was represented. We all went from a, a little different perspective, but we wanted people to describe the education and the practice um, opportunities as well as challenges and just tell their story. So we're very happy that that came out this year that I think will also um, help people continue to tell their stories. Thanks so much for listening in. I hope you'll join Carol and I next week as we pick up where we left off talking about Carol's role in leadership, championing the needs of neonatal nurses around the globe to bring their best selves to the work they do every day, serving babies and families in crisis. Showing up on purpose makes the difference, and that difference begins when we care out loud, together. <laughs>